Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. Happy New Year to you. It's great to be with you. Uh, I want to congratulate you for your attendance record in the year 2024. All of you are 100% attendance for the year 2024. So way to go. Pat yourself on the back. Fantastic. Super proud of you on that. Lisa and I had a great Christmas uh, with family. We had a bunch of people over our house. At one point we had 22 people eating there and many sleeping there. And it was just a beautiful, wonderful, chaotic zoo. It was awesome. Uh, We had a really, really good Christmas and I pray that you did too. Uh, We had all five of our grandchildren with us. I think we have a a few pictures of them because I have to show you pictures of my grandkids. There's our youngest Lydia and the next one. Uh, There's Jonathan in his Batman suit he got for Christmas. And then uh, there's Aubrey. And next one is Andrew. And there's Peter. And there's Peter after he won. (laughs) Uh, Well, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year uh, to all of you. So as we start our new year together, I want to invite you to a New Year's challenge. And here it is. I challenge you to listen to God, to discern his Elijah-like faith um, uh, assignment for you for this season in your life, and then for you to trust him to complete that assignment in his power. So this is not a New Year's resolution or a goal per se. Rather, this involves discerning what it is that God wants you to do in this season of your life and then trusting him to do it. So let me say it one more time. I challenge you, I challenge myself to discern your Elijah-like faith assignment in this season of your life and then to trust God to complete that assignment in his power and with his uh, help. So let me just give you some examples from my own life over the years when I feel like God's given me some Elijah-like uh, faith assignments. I'm thinking all the way back to 1985, I was a sophomore in college, and I sensed that that year, the Elijah-like faith assignment that God had for me was to start a Bible study in my fraternity. And I was nervous about that, and God got behind it and, uh, and blessed it, and, and we did it, and God did it. I'm thinking of 1987, I sensed that God wanted me to go to seminary to begin training for ministry. And that was my Elijah-like faith assignment in that season. I'm thinking of 1988, I knew that God wanted me to marry uh, Lisa Watson and that he wanted me to spend the rest of my life fulfilling my marriage vows uh, to her. Uh, 1996, I believe that God's Elijah-like faith assignment then was to assemble a group of people to help launch a brand new church in West Houston, Katy. Uh, in the year 2000, uh, the Elijah-like assignment, I, I, I sensed God wanted me to do one-on-one uh, devotions with each of my children, focused one-on-one time devotions. And so set aside Wednesday mornings and uh, did, we called it, uh, we called it, Donut Devotions with Dad. And I took a, a, for a season, took one kid every Wednesday before school and then the next kid and then the next kid. And we worked through the book of Proverbs together. And that was my Elijah-like faith assignment that year. 2002, build the first worship center for Grace Fellowship. 2003, get an oil change in our marriage. 
2010, launch a Bible seminary. 2017, do an intensive one-year discipleship with my son, John David, who was going into his senior year in high school, all in preparation for a manhood rite of passage. 2021, build a treehouse. So those are examples of Elijah-like faith assignments that I feel like God's given me in different seasons of my life. Uh, What about you? Uh, What would one be for you? Uh, Look on page three of your worship guide, and I've given you some examples. I just want to, I just want to kind of Get your engines going, uh, prompt your mind, prompt your heart, prompt your soul uh, for God to speak to you on this. And so page three of your worship guide, there's some sermon notes. If you're online, you can click on the worship guide button online and see the same thing. But look at the sermon notes. What is God's Elijah-like faith assignment for you? And then I give you some examples. Is it to mend a relationship? Is it to serve your spouse? Take healthy steps to start dating. Invest in your children. Uh, Share your faith with a certain person. Quit and overcome a bad habit. Start a new and healthy habit. Befriend a lonely person. Give back to God by faith. Maybe God's calling you to honor your parents. Plan a vacation. Plug into a small group. Serve in your local church. Get your finances in order. Have an important conversation with God someone. What is the faith assignment that God's calling you to in this season of your life? So to encourage you in this, to help you discern what it is and to give you courage to carry it out, I want to invite us to study the life of Elijah over the next six Sundays uh, together. God gave Elijah a faith assignment and then God helped Elijah carry out that assignment. So if you got a Bible, turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 Kings. That's Old Testament. It's about 25% of the way through your Bible. Uh, 1 Kings comes after 1 and 2 Samuel. It comes before 2 Kings. Um, so turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. By the way, I want to encourage you to bring a Bible with you every single Sunday in this six-week series together, actually for the rest of your life, because every single Sunday I'm going to say the same thing. Turn with me in your Bible too, and we're going to look up a passage of Scripture together. If you'll bring your Bible to church, I'll help you get to know uh, your Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, it'll be our honor and privilege to give you one for free. And out there in the lobby at the welcome desk over here on this side in the lobby, uh, we just have a stack of uh, ESV Bibles. We'd love to give you one of those for free. ESV stands for English Standard Version. That's the translation that I read from up here if you want to see the same words. All right, let's say a prayer, and then we're going to dive into our study. Pray with me, please. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we dedicate these six weeks to hearing from you through your servant Elijah in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings in the Bible. And so, Lord, would you speak to us? And would you show us what your Elijah-like faith assignment is for each one of us? And then will you give us the how-to and the courage and the power by your Holy Spirit to live out that faith assignment? So that's what we're asking for. We need your help. We need your leadership. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, 
There shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So let's pause for a second. To understand what we just read, we need to back up into the latter part of chapter 16 and understand the context. So First and Second Kings is a series of short biographies of the different kings of Israel and kings of Judah. And so here in this part of 1 Kings 16 and 17, we find ourselves during the reign of King Ahab. And we're going to learn that he was a bad king. Uh-huh. So back up to uh, kind of the end of chapter 16, verse 29. And let's get a running start so we understand what we're reading. Uh, chapter 16, verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. In other words, according to the Bible, he's the most wicked king that Israel's had so far. Wow, how'd you like that to be on your tombstone? And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Ahab took for his wife Jezebel. And just hear this ominous music playing in the background, like sinister music. Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidians. And Ahab went and served Baal and worshipped him. Ahab erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah, that's a pole that you worship. Uh, it's false. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's the context. That's the background that the prophet Elijah steps into. So now look again at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to King Ahab, Hey, King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there will be neither dew nor rain these years except uh, by my word. I think Elijah has a really difficult faith assignment here, namely to confront a really bad and evil king, uh, Ahab. And so what, what I'd like to do this morning is to study Elijah's faith assignment in order to help each of us discern what our faith assignment is and to get some courage to actually carry out whatever that assignment is. So look at your notes. Let's look at four characteristics of Elijah's faith assignment in 1 Kings 17, 1. Uh, four characteristics of Elijah's faith assignment. Here we go. Number one, Elijah's faith assignment was given to him by God. So the first fill in the blank there in your notes is God. Elijah's faith assignment was given to him by God. Let's look again at 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So notice that phrase, before whom I stand. This could be the most important fact that we learn about Elijah. He repeatedly went before the presence of the Lord to be with the Lord, to listen to the Lord, and to posture himself to obey the Lord, the God of Israel before whom I stand. That 
phrase, before whom I stand, is used earlier in the book of Kings to describe the servants of Solomon standing in the presence of King Solomon. Uh, I put the scripture in your notes. Look at it. First Kings 10. It's talking about Solomon. It says, happy are your servants. Here it is. Who continually stand before you. Same phrase. Um, and hear your wisdom. In the same way that King Solomon's servants stood before him just to be in his presence, to attend to him. So Elijah stood before God. He frequently stood in the presence of God just to be with God, to listen to God, and to be ready to obey God. Listen, Grace Fellowship, the only way for you to know your faith assignment uh, from God is for you to stand before God in worship with a posture to listen and obey. So let's call a timeout and pause for a second and apply it to your life and mine. Look at application number one there in your notes. Application number one, do you make this your application and say, with God's help, I will cultivate a lifestyle of standing before God through daily time in his word, in prayer, in worship, and through weekly corporate worship here in big church. Listen to a story about a woman named Letty who practiced standing before God like Elijah did. Listen to this. Uh, Letty's story is told by a pastor I know in Las Vegas <laughs> named Lance uh, Pittman, Pastor Lance Pittman. Uh, pastor Lance pastors a church in Las Vegas uh, called Hope Church that's reaching thousands of people for Christ. Listen to Pastor Lance, Vance tell the story about Letty. He says, when God called my family to Las Vegas, you couldn't have picked a place that was farther off my radar. You see, I'm from Alabama, and where I grew up, people didn't go to Las Vegas, or if they did, they didn't tell anybody. <laughs> they don't believe Las Vegas is actually hell, but you can smell it from there. <laughs> but we knew God had called us to go. In our first week in Las Vegas, my wife and I were sitting at home when the phone rang. On the other end of the line was a Filipino woman named Letty Peralta. She said, Pastor, can I tell you a story? I said, Letty, I don't know a soul in Las Vegas. You can tell me every story you've got. Letty replied, Pastor, we've never met. I'm from the Philippines. I moved to Hong Kong to make money for my family. While living there, I met an American family and I became their nanny. My family was very poor, so I sent most of my paycheck back to my family in the Philippines. That American family became like family to me. And so when they moved to the United States, I went with them. We moved to a suburb north of Atlanta called Woodstock, Georgia. While living there, I heard a man named Johnny Hunt preach the gospel, something I had never heard before. It changed my life. But we weren't in Atlanta very long. Soon we moved to Las Vegas. That was a year and a half ago. Since we moved here to Las Vegas, I've been praying every day that Pastor Johnny's church, First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia, would start a church in Las Vegas. <laughs> Pastor Vance now says, a few days earlier, my family and I had loaded up everything we owned in the parking lot of the First Baptist Church of Woodstock, Georgia. Johnny Hunt prayed over us, and we got in our van and drove the 2,000 miles to Las Vegas with no idea that Letty Peralta was even on this earth. What I realized that day was that contrary to what I thought, we didn't move to Las Vegas to start something. We went there to get in on something that God was doing long before we ever got there. 
We followed God there in obedience and the urging to ask him to do something big in Las Vegas was an invitation from him to ask for something that he already was planning to do and wanted to do. We're now 14 years into that journey. We've seen thousands of people come to Christ in our church. We've had the privilege of planting 10 more churches in Las Vegas. There's hope. (laughs) Sometimes people call and ask for our secret. They say, Pastor, how'd you do it? What was your strategy? Here's all I know to say. One lady from the Philippines grabbed a hold of the throne of God and she refused to let go until God moved. Letty was desperate. You dig deep enough into any move of God anywhere in the world at any point in history and I'll tell you what you're going to find. Men and women of God on their face desperately seeking God. You'll never hear their names at a conference. They're not publishing any books. They're just hungry for God. Wow. Letty stood before God like Elijah did. And she asked God to send someone from Pastor Johnny's church in Georgia to Las Vegas. You want to know what your faith assignment is? Then stand before God like Letty did and like Elijah did. That's good. All right, number two. A second characteristic of Elijah's faith assignment was that Elijah's faith assignment was something that he could not do in his own power. He needed God to come through. So the next fill in the blank there is own power. Elijah's faith assignment was something that he could not do in his own power. He needed God to come through. Look again at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite in Gilead said to King Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, There will be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Elijah was believing God for something much bigger than Elijah. Namely, he was believing God for a supernatural drought that would get everyone's attention for the purposes of God. That's something that only God can do. Which begs the question, what is God calling you to trust him for that only God can do? What is God calling you to trust him for that only God can do? I'm thinking of someone I know who trusted God to restore a broken relationship with his son. And God did. I'm thinking of someone I know uh, who was trusting God to share their faith with somebody at their school. And God helped them do that. I'm thinking of somebody who was trusting God to go on a mission trip to a different culture in order to share the gospel uh, in love and in action and in words. I'm thinking of someone who trusted God to resurrect a dead and hurting marriage. They went through Marriage Matters here at Grace Fellowship together and he resurrected their marriage. I'm thinking of someone I know who trusted God to get out of debt. They went through Financial Peace University here at Grace Fellowship and they got out of debt. I'm thinking of someone I know who trusted God to heal their broken heart after a divorce. And they went through divorce care here at Grace Fellowship. And God is healing their heart. I'm thinking of someone I know who trusted God to have an important but risky conversation with somebody. And they did. And God used that conversation. 
What is God calling you to trust him for that only God can do? Now, as we dig into Elijah's story today and in the coming five Sundays, we learn that Elijah's method for trusting God was fervent prayer. The New Testament helps us see this vividly in James chapter 5. And I put the James chapter 5 scripture right there in your notes. So look at that with me. James 5, 16 through 18. The Bible says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Like he had a sin nature just like we do. He had struggles just like we do. And he prayed, Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then Elijah prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Elijah trusted God with some things that only God could do by praying fervently for those things. So in your sermon notes, I put up roughly a dozen of my favorite prayer quotes. And I'm going to read three of these with you. And as I do, I just want to invite you to to put a star or a circle uh, around one or two of these quotes. And then when you go home, would you copy that quote onto a sticky note or whatever your jam is and stick that on your bathroom mirror? And then over the coming 40 days together as we're studying Elijah, every morning when you're brushing your teeth and every night when you're brushing teeth, would you just read that prayer quote and let it inspire you to pray for your faith assignment? Uh, I'm assuming there that you brush your teeth every morning and evening, yes? <laughs> All right, look at the quotes. Put a circle or a star next to one or two of these. Here we go. William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. (laughs) And when I don't, they don't. Someone has said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Corey Tim Boom asked this question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I like this one. (laughs) If the church wants a better pastor, it only needs to pray for the one it has. Come on, I need your prayers. (laughs) Samuel Chadwick says, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christ followers from praying. The devil fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. Satan laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles. He trembles when he sees the weakest Christ follower on his knees. Martin Luther said, as is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christ followers to pray. Ian Bounds says, prayer is not learned in the classroom, but in the closet. Richard Foster says, real prayer comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love with God. Martin Luther says, pray, yeah, pray and let God do the worrying. (laughs) Mark Batterson says, God does not answer vague prayers. And one of my favorites, I am too busy not to pray. Listen, uh, which one of these would you copy onto a sticky note, put on your bathroom mirror? Praying does not need to be complicated. Praying can simply be the first words that you utter each morning. Let the first words out of your mouth every day be words to God. 
I found that praying scripture back to God helps my prayers stay focused. And, and so I use a quiet time journal that we make available here at Grace Fellowship for free. Uh, we've got a bunch of those at the welcome desk if you want one of those. I love praying throughout my day, just conversationally, as though God were right with me all day long, wherever I'm going. He is. And so I just throw up these, like, four-second prayers here and there. Lord, help me as I go into this meeting. Lord, help me as I make this phone call. Lord, bless my wife right now. Lord, uh, I'm feeling discouraged. Would you help me right now? Uh, just, I, I'll pray that like 50 or 60 or 70 times during a day. Just conversational popcorn prayers. I love to pray with other people every chance I get, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christ follower. I love praying here at the prayer altar. You'll find me every single Sunday morning right after the message, kneeling right there every single Sunday. It's an important part of my prayer life is to uh, take whatever I've heard from God's word and pray it back to God on Sunday mornings. And I believe that worship singing is praying. Somebody has said, when you sing, you pray twice. I like that. Listen to Janice tell her story of trusting God through fervent prayer for something that only he could do. Listen to Janice. She says, I've been a single mom for 12 years, shouldering the bulk of the responsibility of raising my four daughters. My youngest daughter resented her father's absence from our lives more than her sisters, and she rebelled against me because, she wasn't, because he wasn't around. I became worn out trying to keep peace at home and keep her out of disaster. Finally, I realized I was carrying the load of being both mom and dad, and God wasn't asking me to. And so one day I bowed my head in despair, and I said, Lord, Lord, I can't go on with her anymore. I love my daughter dearly, but you love her more. And so, God, I'm letting go. I'm letting go. And I'm asking you to do whatever it takes to bring her heart to you. Janice says, I cried because I knew it might take a difficult time to bring my daughter to Jesus and I would have to keep my hands off of her so that he could do his best work. My job was to continually pray fervently for my daughter and for her friends whom I didn't like. <laughs> Did it take a difficult time to bring my daughter back? Yes, she's pregnant and she's broken. Her friends recommended an abortion, but she decided to keep the baby. Six months into the pregnancy, she came to me and she said, I know God's calling my name. And he's going to use this baby to help me straighten out my life. Janice says, after my shock wore off, I heard that wonderful, still, small voice. Remember, Janice, I love her. And my plans are not your plans. I want to bring healing to the broken parts of her life that you don't even know about. Janice says, peace flooded my soul. I'm so thrilled to know God's at work in her life and I can trust him to continue the process. That's really good. All right, number three. A third characteristic of Elijah's faith assignment was that Elijah faith assignment had a time element. So time is the next fill in the blank there in your notes. Elijah's faith assignment had a time element. 
Now we know this from the James 5 scripture that we just read earlier. So flip the page back and look at that scripture one more time with me. James 5, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man just like us, with a nature just like ours. And Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain. Here it is. And for three and a half years, it did not rain on the earth. And then Elijah prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So Elijah's time element was three and a half years. You know, the T of SMART goals is really helpful. T stands for time-bound. So let me give you an example of this uh, from one of my Elijah-like assignments. Yeah, I, I told you earlier in 2017, through prayer, I discerned that uh, an Elijah-like faith assignment that God had for me was to walk my son, John David, who was going to be a senior in high school, uh, to walk him through a year uh, of intensive discipleship um, in order to get him ready for a manhood rite of passage at the end of that year so that he could become independently dependent on God. So in preparation for that manhood rite of passage, uh, I felt like I was calling me to this one-year discipleship intensive together. Of course, Lisa and my job together for 18 years of John David's life has been to disciple him. But I was feeling this sense of a one-year intensive in his final year in high school. So I set John David down. I asked him if he'd like to do this together. He said, absolutely yes. And so John David and I drew up a discipleship covenant together. And we got a picture of that we can put up here. And I know you can't read any of that. I just want you to see. Like it outlines everything and we signed it and we dated it together at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. Um, we decided that for one year, literally 12 months, that we would meet formally twice a month to purposely engage in discipleship and to pursue three major challenges together. First of all, a physical challenge around bench press, uh, squats, and pull-ups. Oh. And then an intellectual challenge together that included reading four books together, one of which was a Dave Ramsey book about uh, personal finances. And then we entered into a spiritual challenge together that involved reading through the entire Bible in a year and uh, soap journaling about that, the quiet time method that's sitting on that uh, lobby welcome desk for you if you want it. And then getting together twice a month to discuss what we were reading in our one-year Bible reading. And then we also read a book about biblical manhood together, a great book by Mark Batterson called uh, Play the Man, fantastic book. And then we uh, also, part of it, we wanted to go to a missions conference together called The Cross in Louisville, Kentucky. Now add up all that together, it was a lot. It was a whole lot. It was challenging and stretching and fun and memory making and life impacting uh, for both of us. And the whole thing ended with a manhood rite of passage that I've described to you in a past sermon before. Here's a picture of the final celebration of that manhood rite of passage as seven of the most important men in John David's life gathered together with him at the end of the rite of passage to eat steak together. It was awesome. Here's what I want you to catch from that story. Faith assignments typically have a time element of some kind attached to them. For John David and I's journey together, it was 12 months. It was a one-year timeline. For Elijah, it was a three and a half year faith assignment. 
What's the time element for your faith assignment? And then last point there in your notes, number four, a fourth characteristic of Elijah's faith assignment was that Elijah's faith assignment was a part of a larger purpose. So purpose is the last fill in the blank there in your notes. Elijah's faith assignment was a part of a larger purpose. Elijah was a prophet sent by God to interrupt the sin and complacency of God's people and their king and to call them to return to God. I mean, think about this. Elijah, Elijah was not praying for a three and a half year drought just for the fun of it. No, there was a bigger picture purpose. Elijah was a prophet sent by God uh, to interrupt the sin and complacency of God's people and their king and to call them to return to God. So let me give you the backstory of this because I think it's really important. There's a larger story going on. As we study Elijah together today and in the coming five weeks, there's a larger story going on uh, that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and actually the beginning of time. So let me just kind of, in two minutes or less, catch you up on that story. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he created human beings and he told human beings, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people in relationship with me. But very soon in the story, rather than scattering and filling the earth with people in relationship with God, the Bible says that we didn't scatter. We gathered together at one place, Babel, and we tried to make a name for ourselves rather than having relationship with God. And so God confused the language of people, scattered the people. We call it Tower of Babel. He scattered the people. And then he chose one man, Abraham. And through Abraham, God would build a nation, Israel, that he would have relationship with. And God's plan is that through that nation, through his people, he would bless all people. Uh, Blessed to be a blessing. He would bless all the peoples of the world through that uh, relationship through Israel. And so the entire Old Testament is the story of God's people, including the patriarchs, the exodus, the conquest, the judges, and then the kings, the kings who would lead this nation called Israel. And so the books of the Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, are just the story of these kings who are supposed to be leading God's people of Israel. So hang with me here. I got a chart for you in your notes that I really want you to dig down deep into because I'm going to give you the entirety of all six of those books and the entirety of First and Second Kings with just one chart. So let's put this up on the screen as well if we can. I know that's hard to read this chart. It's small. I want you to get out, take it home, get out your magnifying glass, study this chart. Because I want to help you understand First and Second Kings. For six Sundays, we're going to be studying in First and Second Kings, Elijah. And then the six Sundays after that, we're going to continue studying Second Kings, Elisha. So 12 weeks in First and Second Kings. And this is the overview. This is the big picture that I want you to capture. It was the job of the kings to lead the people of Israel to God. The kings in green on that chart did their job. 
and there's only eight of them. There's only eight kings in green. <laughs> the kings in red or pink or mauve or whatever that color is, they did not do their job. There's 21 kings there who did not do their job. And so God sent the prophets who are in purple on that chart. He sent the prophets to call the kings and the people back to God. There it is. There's the entirety of First and Second Kings in one chart. So for the next six Sundays, we're going to study one of those prophets in purple named Elijah who had a faith assignment to confront one of those kings in Mav, King uh, Ahab. Ahab is considered one of the most ungodly kings of them all. And his wife Jezebel, hear sinister music playing in the background, is synonymous with evil and immorality. And Elijah's larger purpose was to call the king and the nation of Israel back to God. Elijah was God's messenger sent to confront God's people Israel and their gross strain from the Lord through idolatry and Baal worship. And Elijah's first faith assignment in this mission is to pray for a drought that would last three and a half years and that would get everybody's attention. That's the larger purpose behind what's going on with Elijah. And so I would ask you, what's the larger purpose behind whatever faith assignment God's calling you to in this season of your life? What's the larger purpose? For me, back in 2017, my purpose with John David was way bigger than bench press squats and uh, pull-ups and reading books. The larger purpose was discipling my son that he could be a fully devoted follower of Jesus as Lisa and I, a year later, would launch him into manhood and adulthood so that he could become independently dependent on God. What's the larger purpose behind your faith assignment? All right, that's it. That's the whole sermon right there. Now, the only remaining question is, what are you going to do with what you've heard? You just heard from the Bible in 1 Kings what are you going to do with what you've heard? So if you look in your notes, uh, here's some promptings for possible applications. Look at the section that says, my application today. Maybe God's prompting you on one of these. Come to the prayer altar in just a minute and pray. And maybe it's, it's one or all of these. Number one, my faith assignment. You'd say after praying and meditating on 1 Kings 17.1, I believe the Elijah-like faith assignment that God's calling me to in this season of my life is, what is it? Come, kneel at the prayer altar, ask him to show you what it is. Write it down and then ask him for the power and the courage and the spirit filling uh, to live that. Number two, turn my eyes upon Jesus. Like Elijah, I want to be a person who stands before God in prayer and listening and word. A spiritual habit that I'm going to cultivate during these first 40 days of the new year while we're studying Elijah is, what's a habit, spiritual habit that you'll embrace during these 40 days? It starts with Jesus, standing before Jesus, standing before Jesus in prayer and in the word and in worship. Number three, say yes on the porch. I believe that part of my faith assignment includes getting connected at my local church through serving in small group community. And so I'm going to explore say yes on the porch today. 
And so in just a few minutes, when we're done with prayer altar and we have a closing prayer, then uh, we're ending the service a little bit earlier than we normally do. You go out on the porch and walk around and eat some of the snack foods we got out there. And on the porch is a booth for every single ministry in the church. And just walk around and pray and say, Lord, is there a place that you want me to serve in my local church and explore some of those with the different booths. And Lord, is there a way that you want me to get plugged into community here at Grace Fellowship? And so maybe you'd walk over to the care ministry booth and explore their care groups like Marriage Matters, Financial Peace University, Grief Share, Divorce Care. Uh, Or maybe you'd walk over to the Spiritual Formation booth and explore small groups, small group community, and some of the different small group classes that they offer. Or maybe walk over to the missions booth and explore a mission trip that you could go on. We've got 15 different mission trips in the year 2024 uh, or different areas to serve at all these different booths. Where is God calling you to plug into community and service? And then let me say one last thing. So we're studying Elijah who lived in the period of the kings. And that chart that I showed you listed all of those kings. The truth is, the truth is, is that none of those kings provided God's people the leadership they needed, not even the ones in green. All of the kings fell short. None of the kings led God's people to salvation from their sins or salvation from the greatest enemy of all, death. And so the biggest message of the book of Kings, as we study it over these six, actually 12 weeks together, the biggest message of Kings is that God's people need a perfect king. And we know if we keep reading our Bibles into the New Testament, that Jesus the Messiah is that king. King Jesus came and he lived a perfect life as Emmanuel, God with us. And then he went to the cross and on the cross, he absorbed all of your sins and all of my sins and all the sins of the world and all the punishment for our sins. He absorbed them on the cross, paid the penalty for them on the cross, and he died on the cross. They buried him. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating sin and the devil and death. Jesus is the king that you need. Jesus is the king that I need. Invite Jesus to be your king. So the prayer altar is open. Don't leave yet. This is my favorite part of the service. I think it's the most important part of the service. Would you come and you can pray in your seat or I found it powerful to get out of my seat and come and kneel at this prayer altar railing and invite Jesus to be your king. Uh, Ask Jesus What is my faith assignment? Write it down. Ask for power and help. Or come and pray about whatever you need to pray about. If you come to the prayer altar, we're going to leave you alone. Unless you'd like one of us to pray with you. And the symbol for that is to cup your hands while kneeling at the altar like this. And that's a symbol and we'd love to pray with you. I'm going to be down here praying. I invite you to join me.